Dr. Stephen Greer is one of the world's foremost authorities on the subject of UFOs, extraterrestrial intelligence, and exotic technologies. For more than 30 years, Dr. Greer has provided briefings for senior government officials across the globe, conducted numerous media interviews, and delivered hundreds of lectures. He has written five books and produced four feature film documentaries that have been seen by hundreds of millions of people. He is currently working on a documentary scheduled for release in late 2023 called The Lost Century and How to Reclaim It. The documentary addresses how energy solutions have been suppressed in the past and how they could now come out for the benefit of all mankind using an open source strategy. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling you that I was going to dive into this subject for a long time, and now we have one of the leading experts on extraterrestrials and free energy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Stephen Greer to The Sean Ryan Show. If you haven't, please go down, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, leave us a comment, and share this information with everybody you know. I want to give a special thanks to all of our patrons for supporting the show. It's because of you guys that this happens. I also want to thank everybody who's just watching the show and sharing it. If you can't join Patreon, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and then head over to Spotify and leave us a review over there. All right, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Stephen Greer to The Sean Ryan Show. Dr. Greer. Welcome to the Sean Ryan Show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It is an honor to have you sitting across there. I've been following your work for a while now. I've watched all the documentaries. It's fascinating information that you're that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. I I can't believe you're even sitting here. Um, <laughs> well, it's just it's a real honor. But well, it's an honor to be with you, and thank you for your, your service and everyone listening who served our country. I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. So just a little bit about you. Um, I gave you an introduction uh, just a few seconds ago, but you've briefed every president since Bill Clinton on the subject of UFOs. You have three personal friends that have been assassinated since, I believe, May 9th of 2001. And those were before. Those were before. Yeah. May 9th, the reason I bring up May 9th, 2001, is that's when you first hosted the National Press Club for the U.S. UFO Disclosure Project, which ironically was just four months before September 11th, 2001, where over 20 intelligence officers came forward with information about UFOs. Right. Whistleblowers. The main reason you're here is whistleblowers. Would you like to go in there? Yeah, I do. And I I want to start early on. So the way this evolved in uh, the early 90s, I'd started a a project dealing with this. And uh, we had set up a protocol where we had made contact with these objects. That ended up being on the front page of the Pensacola, Florida paper. Army intelligence and CIA found out about it, and then they came in and started asking me, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And that started a whole process where um, people in, there were friendlies and unfriendlies in in the U.S. government and other governments who reached out. And the friendlies were people who were very much read into some of these projects who knew that they had been managed illegally. Uh, And they began to advise me. Now, I'm not 
never been in the U.S. government, never been in the military, never been in the intelligence community. So I started out pretty cold and pretty green. I'm an, I'm an emergency doctor, trauma, you know, big ER. Each of us saw 6,000 people a year. The gun and knife club, we called it. And uh, by 93, I was being asked to go up and brief um, the director of the CIA for Bill Clinton, uh, R. James Woolsey. Now, you know, I'm a 30-some-year-old medical doctor going up. And I, the letter that came to me, and this is the key point I want to make, stated, and I have it. It's in my archive. It's going to come out pretty soon publicly. And it says, you're going to be the first person to brief the Clinton administration and the director of the CIA on this issue because they've made inquiries and have been denied access. Now, huge red flags should go over everyone's head right now. You're talking about the president of the United States, the director of the CIA, making a, through channels an inquiry on something that they know is happening, and they're being denied access. So immediately I knew either that was a lie or the whole enterprise has gone off the rails uh, in terms of being managed illegally and improperly. So at that point, I went up, took the meeting. Uh, the cover story was a dinner party for me and my wife and the CIA director and his wife, who was the... Uh, chief operating officer of National Academy of Sciences, and our host, who was a think tank director for the Pentagon, and his wife. So there's six of us. And sure enough, he was very shaken. He, he absolutely had not been read in. <clears throat> and so I provided him a lot of information. And I brought a whole briefcase full of evidence. I mean, this positive evidence, documents, photographs, this, that. And this was 30 years ago this year. December 13th, 1993. So at that point, my whole paradigm tilted where I realized there's something very wrong with this. I didn't know anything about, you know, the popular terms now or the counter state or the deep state or secret government, illegal projects, on and on and on. It, it was off my radar, it, totally. You had no idea at the time no, that this, any of that was happening. Th this was... <laughs> I, I had actually sort of a serious PTSD over this because it was like completely upended, you know, my world. Uh, am I thinking about our country and what had happened? So I started digging into this. And I mean, I'm a full-time emergency doctor. I was chairman of the department. And I got more and more involved. And I made a call, an early call, for people to come forward who did know about this. And at that time, <clears throat> the Disclosure Project in that incarnation, let's call it, was called Project Starlight. And Project Starlight was a briefing process um, for the executive branch and then eventually members of Congress. So <clears throat> I ended up putting together all this information and whistleblower testimony, documents. I ended up receiving some top secret uh, documents that were not declassified uh, that I have and have published because we came to the conclusion that these projects are being run unconstitutionally and therefore all personnel, all evidence, and all documents pertaining to them have no protection over the national, from the National Security Act. They cannot be kept secret if they're going to operate outside the oversight of the constitutional oversight requirements of the president and the Congress. What were some of the things that were in the top secret documents? Well, I have one that's from uh, Nellis, so-called Area 51 area, where there was a security alert by some civilian groups trying to see what was going on there. 
and uh, <laughs> it has the distribution list. The document isn't that important except for, because it was a security alert, you know, um, but the distribution list is important because it has the project code names and code numbers. That document, <clears throat> which was dated 1990, um, uh, in the 90s, I, it, was, it was one of the documents I gave, for example, uh, to the president's people, and also eventually when I briefed the um, J2, the head of intelligence, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Wilson, and that was on the top of the pile because I said, look at the distribution list here. Follow that thread. And so, for example, in the case of Admiral Wilson, now, you know, he's head of intelligence, Joint Staff, Admiral. He made an inquiry into this based on a, a, a portfolio I had couriered to him, but he was denied access. And, he, and th there's public documents now about this that leaked out. Interesting. Look it up. And what happened is that he was also threatened personally and with demotion. So this was all happened kind of prior to my stand-up briefing at the Pentagon for him, which happened in 1997, 25, over 25 years ago, 26. And it was a very disturbing event for him. For me, by then, I was battle-hardened. I realized what was going on. He was shocked that he had been threatened and denied access to these projects. I wasn't, because I said, well, you're in good company. The SecDef, Secretary of Defense has, the President, the Director of the CIA. And by then, I had met with members of, key members in the Congress and Senate Intelligence Committee. They had all been pushed aside and denied access. So by then, I had already accepted this new paradigm of there being, as Senator Inouye said, and I'm quoting, there's a secret government with its own Air Force, its own Navy, its own funding mechanism that's above the law and free from the law itself. I'm, I'm almost giving an exact quote here. And, you know, that's something that most people have to understand first off here is that what we're dealing with is not a sanctioned or even a normal black project. And I can say this with authority because I am working now with people who literally manage the black budget of the United States currently. And they were denied access they to were all these projects. Access. They had no idea that there were deep black pass-through projects. We'll get into this. How is this done structurally, organizationally? What's the architecture? So it took me a long time to unravel this. Mm -hmm. And I had to do it through multiple documents, corroborating witnesses, people on the inside who came forward. So in 2001, by then, I had concluded neither the White House nor the Congress was going to touch this. So we launched the Global Disclosure Project, where I gathered together the first 20-some of these military and some corporate people and had a press club event. It ended up being seen by about 800 million people. Interestingly, the first hour of it was jammed. There had been jamming devices put on the structure of the National Press Club. But it eventually got up, and it used up every T1 line in the city available back then, in 01. And, you know, what happened from that was that then there was a whole movement launch that is going to this day. It's a very slow process. You're dealing with U.S. government. moves like a glacier. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's complimentary. But I, I think that the, the reality is you can't blame people 
there, there, there are these sweeping conspiracy theories that are all wrong. That, you know, somehow, I was just talking to a congressman yesterday who uh, had this idea that there were people in his party um, who were hiding things from him because they knew things, because the process going on now in the Congress, much of it is in classified skiffs and briefings that I know about. But in reality, those people who are trying to get to the bottom of this, they don't know anything. I mean, they're still asking, you know, is that tic-tac, you know, as they call it, this, mm-hmm. this UFO footage, you can drop it in that our uh, Hornets, <laughs> 18s were chasing off of San Diego. Is that, you know, from China? And of course, as soon as I saw it, I mashed it to a 1967 image we have of a Lockheed Skunk Works so-called anti-gravity device. So that would be us. It's us. It's U.S. Well, let's call it global. It's, it's part of this secret government asset base. So to give people a, a, a little deeper unpacking of this, is like at the end of the meeting with, with Admiral Wilson. So I'm doing the stand-up briefing. It's supposed to be 45 minutes in his conference room at the Pentagon. And I have astronaut Edgar Mitchell is there, who was the sixth man to walk on the moon, my military advisor, and a couple witnesses, whistleblowers. And this goes on for almost two or, like three hours, two or three hours, much longer. He kept canceling appointments because he was so you know, concerned. And at the end of it, I said, look, we really need your help getting to the bottom of this and getting these rogue illegal projects under control. He says, well, what am I going to do? He says, I can't act. I'll be rogue unless the Secretary of Defense and the President authorize me to do something like this. And I said, well, that's not going to be forthcoming. I've already, we've already attempted that. And, he's, and he also said something that was very spooky. He said, how do I take on a group that have technologies that can do circles around the best thing I know we have, a B2 stealth? He says, that's the best thing I know to deploy. And I have found out, and I have now convinced there is a secret organization that have technologies that can literally do circles around my B2. And I said, yes. And he just said, it's point set match. I said, he says, I don't even know how to take that on. And that is how that meeting ended. And wow. it was very grave. And I went, well, you know, there's a difference. Those projects are being run outside the law. And I said, you know, <clears throat> the law is only what you, and power is only what you use. If you don't use the law and if you don't use power, then you let sociopaths and criminals run amok. And unfortunately, that's what's happened since the late 1950s. I later found it was on Eisenhower's watch, unfortunately. He was old, he was tired, he was a four-star general, World War II, that this group of, um, the secret government group sort of seized control over these operations. So in reality, the constitutional government of the United States has not been in a proper oversight and control of these operations since the late 1950s. Since the, since the so 70 years. Yeah, almost 60, yeah, two-thirds of a century. Wow. Yeah. So that's sort of the, just to give an overview of, of how this evolved. And now it's evolved to a very big event that's happened um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, the Congress passed. And the president signed a law that has for the defense funding, National Defense Authorization Act. And it explicitly allows people to come out 
uh, as witnesses, whistleblowers on the UAP UFO issue, including contractors, not just government employees, but contractors like Lockheed Skunk Works, Northrop, Raytheon, Booz Allen Hamilton, MITRE Corporation, SAIC. These are all big chief primary contractors working on the reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materiel and also the building up of systems based on that and other technologies. So why do you think it took so long for this to for this bill to come about? It just has to, you know, when we released about five years ago, um, five and a half years ago, unacknowledged. So people, if you have Amazon Prime or Tubi or Hulu or whatever, um, that documentary got about, uh, in the first six months, 760 million people see it. Now, most of that was pirated, dark web, Pirate Bay, whatever. It's fine. It, it, we're, what I'm doing is a, a non, not-for-profit purpose of educating the public on this. I left my medical career to fix this massive problem for not only our country, but for the world and, and the future of humanity. But that you know, caused a lot of stir, and it, it triggered a series of events that has now led a few years ago to the law being passed that the director of national intelligence must report on this issue to the Congress. But now, you know, I told folks that I'm working with, and I can't disclose exactly who they are, but they're the most senior people, uh, and said, look, there needs to be a clear pathway. Because the only way you're going to get this, you're not going to get this through the chain of command. You're going to have to get people who come in as whistleblowers and witnesses, who are direct witnesses to this, even if it's a small part of what they saw. You know, maybe they were only guarding a hangar where there was one of these triangular objects at my uncle's old company. My uncle worked on the lunar module, put the first man on the moon, north of Grumman. Um, but which is part of how I had an interest in this. You know, if, you're, if your uncle kind of put the first man on the moon or was part of that, it's sort of a fun thing for a little boy, you know. Yeah. You know, I was 14 when we landed on the moon. So. <laughs> But um, it was just a great thing to, to, to have a family member involved with that. But I think that, you know, th most people underestimate how important every little detail is. So what I did in the 90s up to the 2001 event and what I've done since is put together sort of a whole puzzle, a mosaic, based on thousands of little pieces of data. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the evidence is easy to get your mind around one at a time. What's hard to get your mind around is the entire uh, intelligence analysis that has to go with it. So that's what I've specialized in, is gathering that data and then connecting all the dots. Um, you know, how does this corporate in operation interface with this base and this SCIF, uh, for people who don't know, the Secure Compartmented Information Facility? Yeah, a SCIF is... A, a SCIF is where highly, highly classified documents, conversations, mission planning, right. the, 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 that's where it all happens, right. is in a skiff. Right, yep. And I've been involved with that, although I wasn't supposed to be. But I get ushered into places, even though I've never been in the government. I've never, I will not accept a clearance or a, a, a secrecy oath or non-disclosure agreement. 
So all this I'm telling you, I can tell you because I hold, people who know the system will know I hold my own clearances in that sense. I, I can say what I want to, to whomever. What my rule is, is that if, if, let's say you were someone who had been involved in an operation at the Dugway Proving Grounds out in you know Utah, which is, there's a dumb there, deep underground military base that's very much involved with this issue. Um, and there are assets there, man-made anti-gravity, very advanced aircraft. Um, that we, you know, have, I have people who have been there who have seen them come up at night and move out. They'd be huge black triangles. And um, those are ours, by the way. Now, there are some extraterrestrial ones that are similar. So if you can envision this, almost any airfoil or superstructure that they've observed that's of an extraterrestrial origin, they've been able to create, let's say, copycat or similar. So this makes this very confusing and unfortunately opens up the possibility of, of a number of false flag or what Pentagon called deceptive indications and warnings uh, operations or false flag operations. But that's, so let's say that you're one of those guys and you come to me and you say, my name is so-and-so, here's my DD-214, you could prove you were there. But you say, I don't want to ever be identified publicly, but I will go into the skiff to provide this information to the people who have now made this pathway for me to come forward legally, then I will arrange for that to happen. That's what we're doing. And I'm making a call right now. Anyone, no matter how small or large your involvement was over the last 70 years with this issue, there's a pathway, there's a door open. We don't know how long it'll stay open. But it's been a lot of work to get to this point. It's a very big breakthrough that there is this legal mechanism so that the constitutional government of the United States can get informed on this properly. And what I discovered, <clears throat> and this was a very strange uh, thing from 93 to now, every time I take a meeting with a high-level member of the U.S. government who should know about this given their rank or their position. Uh, for example, when I briefed uh, years ago the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, General Patrick Hughes, a three-star. Well, as anyone knows who's been in the military, the, the, that position is the top of the food chain for military intelligence, mm -hmm. period. It's, it's, you know, and the DIA is like the CIA for civilian. It's, it's military. He had completely been denied access. The director of the DIA is completely denied mm -hmm. access. I had a multi-hour meeting with him in his office with my senior folks. And it was another, see, these data points, people remember them as I go through them. How, you know, in what universe can the head of the DIA or the CIA or the president or the chair people of armed services in the Senate or in the Select Committee on Intelligence not have been read in on this? If, when we are funding it, we estimate there's somewhere over the last 70 years, eight to $10 trillion that have gone into these projects that are unaccounted for. Remember, the day before 9-11, we have a videotape of Rumsfeld at the Pentagon. I'm not sure he knew it was being recorded because I'm shocked that he said it. And it's in Unacknowledged, the documentary. He says, and now this is now 21, 22 years ago. He says, there's $2.3 trillion unaccounted for in the Department of Defense budgets. Trillion, not billion. How do you have that much money unaccounted for? Oh, you do. <laughs> Let me give you an example. I believe it. I'm they say, you know, it costs $2 billion a plane to make the B-2 stealth. 
It's about $150 million. The rest of it goes through the back door into these unsanctioned projects that neither the president nor the Congress knows, never mind the American people. Multiply that across the whole system. So we'll get into this in a moment. There are other more creative ways of this organization, this secret uh, illegal organization. I view this gr group that's doing this as the world's largest RICO, racketeering influence corrupt organization, like a mafia. But they become pretty much untouchable till now. And I'm not saying we need to go after them aggressively in a negative way, but it needs to have, it needs to be disclosed. And it, we need to have the people's representatives and the constitutional government at least informed about it. And they are not. The, the thing that's most shocking to me, even to this day, is that every time I take a meeting with this and you're meeting with someone of that rank, like the General Hughes, here's a three-star in charge of DIA. It was so crazy that I'm, he's sitting there and we, we start talking. He had made inquiries through the chain of command of DIA. He says, the only thing I've gotten, he goes over to it in his conference room for the general. I had a bookshelf and there was a little, you know, corny little like E.T. doll, like you'd see at a, at a, at a toy store. Mm -hmm. And he grabs it. He says, this is all I've gotten for my inquiries through the channels. He was in a, he was in a rage. I said, and I was going, yes, sir, this has happened to most of your folks who are in your position, unless they were brought in and came up through the ranks because they were identified as sociopaths who would break the law and run a, an unsanctioned illegal operation for decades. There's your criteria. Now, people like, like yourself, let's say you had been assigned to a project dealing with this. You'd have no way of knowing as it way up at the food chain mm -hmm. that this was an illegal operation. There would be no foundation. Yeah. So you're, you would have been completely innocent. So all of you guys listening and women who, if you have been involved with this, you're not culpable because you're not at that policymaking level where you are willfully insubordinate to the Constitution, which, you know, everyone takes an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, writ large domestic here. Because, you know, the worst treasonous acts that have ever happened to any country that falls is from within. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. So I want to be very clear about it. I know I'm coming on a little bit strong on it, but it's, I am so outraged after dealing with this for 30 years and seeing this drag on. Um, so what my concern is, is that now that this law is in place, and it's only a month and a half on, right? We need to move expeditiously, quickly through that door that's opened. Because um, who knows when someone may slam it shut. And there's a window we have to go through. Uh, and I think that we've started that process. So what I'm, what I'm doing is putting out a call, a request, and to appeal to people's patriotism. You know, my father was hand-to-hand -hand combat on amphibious landing unit World War II. And had pretty bad PTSD from that, although they didn't know what that was. Um, but I kind of feel like we have to look at this and go, given how this is operating, you know, it's our patriotic duty to fix this problem, just from the point of view of the rule of law and civilization and the Constitution. Otherwise, what are we? We're a bunch of monkeys running around the jungle 
without the law. Yeah. The other issue is what's behind the secrecy? That's what, that was my question. It, it you know that was when I the, my first meetings with people like the CIA director. After like ten minutes of going through the evidence, he says, "Yeah, yeah, I know this is real." He wanted to know why is it this level of secrecy? Who's keeping it secret? How are they doing this? So that is actually the bigger question. The evidence you can get your mind around. We have it. It's been out there. If you look at Unacknowledged, if you get the book, we have a book called Disclosure. It's 500 and some pages of transcripts of these original top secret people's testimony and documents. It's all in there. So you can get Disclosure book. You can get Unacknowledged, the book. It goes with the documentary. It's there. But understand, and we also describe how this is operating. But the why behind it is kind of banal, you know, in the sense of uh, it's money and power. So let's say you have something that would fit on a little table this big, and it's a uh, generator, and it's pulling energy out of what's called the quantum vacuum or zero-point energy field, which was proven to exist back in the 50s. Now... Physicists have described this energy field. If you had a coffee mug, the amount of space in that coffee mug has enough potential power to boil off all the oceans of the world, quote, unquote. It's what Tesla called, uh, not the fake car company, actually Nikola Tesla. Um, I call it fake Tesla cars because if they're plugged into the grid, they're, they're not real Teslas. We'll get into this. Um, but those, that energy field is uh, everywhere, and you can tap into it. And when you tap into it, you're tapping into this energy field that can be converted to electricity or thrust. So is the energy field, is it everything in between objects? Is that? It's not just between, it's within. So if you take, let's take the chair you're sitting in or I'm in. It's occupying a volume of space. Mm -hmm. When you get past the molecular to the atomic level of this, and then subatomic, the quarks, you get this into this pluripotent, it's like the, the foam at the surface of the deep ocean. Okay. That all of matter is fluxing in and out of. The early Lockheed Skunk Works man-made UFOs were called flux liners. Flux liners. Yep. Where they were pulling energy from this quantum vacuum flux field. Very advanced physics. I mean, we understand it very well. I want to put your audience to sleep going into the arcana of the physics of it. But the point I'm making is that was mastered decades ago. This, this technology has been around for, for decades. Uh, well, about 100 years that there has been empirical evidence of this energy field. Nikola Tesla called it the infinite energy field. Um, there were others who discovered it all the way back to the late 1800s. Now, they didn't, they didn't have the physics down of what was happening. But in terms of just observing the phenomenon empirically, you know, here you, you set up a high-voltage system, suddenly more energy is coming out than you're putting in. Those okay. are called over-unity systems or free energy because once you get it tapped, it's just flowing, Right. And so that means that every home, business, car, manufacturing, village in Africa would ha be able to have a, 
a device that would not be very expensive, frankly, to mass manufacture, that would generate all the energy they need for all the needs that we have for a modern civilization. And this would be wonderful. There's no pollution. There's no radiation. And once you have the system, there is no cost. There's no refueling. The bad news is that if you're an oligarch, a global oligarch, controlling the macroeconomic system, big oil, big global systems, uh, and let me translate for those of you who've been in the Middle East, our vital national security interest translates to one word, O-I-L, oil, energy. <clears throat> so the problem is, you know, if that technology were to be disclosed, it's, a, you know, it's a quadrillion dollars. It's a thousand trillion dollars or more in proven assets, oil, gas, coal, public utilities that are obsolete. It's like, you know, obsolete. It's like a, a royal typewriter, a horse and buggy. That's what they're protecting. So the entire energy field, everything that has anything to do with energy becomes completely obsolete at this point. Yeah, and all, Which, tran and, and all transportation systems, internal combustion engines, jet engines, rockets, surface roads. So now surface roads, I say that only because when you take that same physics and do a torsion, a counter-rotating field, you can get what's called an, an electrogravitic effect where or anti-gravity, pop culture term. It's a terrible term. It's not anti-gravity. But you can collect, cr create this electromagnetic field where an object becomes essentially weightless and can move. This is why you, if you look at the radar tracings of these things, these objects can be moving at 200,000 miles an hour, make a right-hand turn. And there are occupants on these. Now, you know, I mean... Any pilot knows if you had the G-forces of that, your brains would come out of your nose. Mm -hmm. There's no way it'd be fatal. But because it's calling, correcting for 1G, and there's a sort of a bubble, an envelope in space-time that this object is moving in, there's no limit to what it can do. So They it don't go, feel the G. They don't feel it and go straight up, you know, at, like one of the radar things we have uh, from Belgium, <clears throat> from, I got from the Belgian Air Force was an object that was at, you know, slightly above AGL, a few feet of AG, above ground level. And it went from there to boom, like 100,000 feet in, in one radar swoop, you know, boom. And we have a lot of cases like that that we've collected. And, you know, the question at this point is, how is that happening? Well, we know how that's happening. And so I, here's the issue with disclosing all this. When you get past the superficial level, here's a machine, here's a device, here's this— the scientists, like myself, are going to say, well, how is it doing that? And if they have a thinking brain, mm -hmm. which, of course, this is a big assumption now with our educational system <laughs> collapsing. It's like, sorry to say. But, <laughs> my God. I mean, the kids that are now trying to get educated in the system now, God help us all. So, but the, the, the fact is that's going to be asked. Now, what's interesting is that the Pentagon has officially said those objects that, are, that were, have been released of the Tic Tac and other UFOs that have been documented with sensors on ships, on board aircraft, and in space, well, they're not disclosing those sensors, but I know what they are, those <clears throat> are, are physical objects moving without any known means of propulsion. Go look at what's been said by the Pentagon. Now... 
what the, uh, the person who said that at the Pentagon says, we don't know how they're moving because that spokesman hasn't been read in to these deep black projects that are in this parallel universe of this secret government. It's been my job to collect the actionable intelligence, the documents, and the people who know this and put it together and put it in the briefings for people. So I've provided this to every minister of defense and secretary of defense for the four of the five eyes, which are, of course, you know, U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K. I have not done it for New Zealand. But and what I've, in every single case, when I've met with these guys, either they're former or current MOD heads or what have you, they've said, we were never read into this. If you're 21 years or older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's changing America for millions of consumers. Those of you that know who I am know that I spent a career in the SEAL teams and its Central Intelligence Agency. The majority of the time in those was conducting operations. And while on those operations, something that we did all the time was chew tobacco. It became kind of like a ritual. And I know of a lot of you out there who listen to me love that ritual, and I just want you to know I get it. Black Buffalo even has long cut, and their pouches are award-winning for all you guys out there using those white portion things. Black Buffalo has bold flavors and full pouches. Black Buffalo is full of flavor. It feels legit when you pack it and most importantly is tobacco leaf and stem free. So if you're 21 or older, currently use nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can buy their products there and they ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase at thousands of retail locations around the country. Born in the Midwest, raised in the South, Charge ahead with Black Buffalo. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Here's the situation. You've got China, Russia, Ukraine, the border. The banks seem to be collapsing. Plus, the Chinese just negotiated with Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Brazil to drop the U.S. dollar. And most Americans, including myself, feel that we're in a recession right now. But despite all the evidence, I can't tell you what's going to happen for sure. Nobody can. Yet when it comes to your money, you should understand what's at stake. That's why I partnered with Gold Co. to possibly help at times like this. Go to seanlikesgold.com or call 855-936-GOLD to get your free gold and silver kit. The kit shows you how to defend your money with precious metals and how listeners of the show could get up to $10,000 in bonus silver. Go to seanlikesgold.com or call 855-936-GOLD to get your free gold and silver kit. I can't predict the future, but I can certainly prepare for it. So go to seanlikesgold.com or call 855-936-GOLD now. Performance may vary. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. So at this data point, let me extend the data point globally. So some years ago, there was this, this really amazing guy named uh, Lord Hill Norton. He was a five-star admiral. They used to call him a sea lord. Don't you love, I mean, I love the British. They're fantastic. A sea lord. And <clears throat> he had been head of the MOD, which means in the UK, you're head of MI5, MI6, like our CIA and stuff. But he was also head of the military committee for NATO. And I met with him at his house in Wiltshire. Um, no, in Hampshire, in England, 
some years ago. And he asked me to come because he wanted me to bring the briefing document that I had put together for the president. I think at that time it was, it was the late Clinton years. And I said, all right, I'll come over. And I went over with my four daughters and wife, and they went off to see the Salisbury Cathedral. And I went and met with this former MOD head. And he was livid. He says, this never came across my desk. I was never read into this. And I said, and yet I have files from your own MOD about the landing of one of these objects at the Bentwaters, uh, Rendlesham Forest Bentwaters Air Force Base. No kidding. Yep. I have the, I have the documents. I have the trace landing. I have the U.S. military Air Force people's testimony that were there. So at this point, I have about 1,100 of these folks. What's a trace landing? When, when one of these, uh, in this case, it was an extraterrestrial vehicle, not one of the man-made ones. So we call them ETVs for the ones that are of extraterrestrial origin. The ones that are man-made are often called ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles, meaning that they're simulating, not totally, but simulating the um, energy propulsion capabilities of what we've reverse engineered and studied since the 40s. Okay. We'll get into this in a moment. How, what's the technology transfer arc from the 40s to now? And that's very interesting. It's going to be in our new film called The Lost Century and How to Reclaim It is the subcaption um, title. But um, the Minister of Defense was furious. And, and, you know, he was a bit bombastic and kind of, you know, his piercing blue eyes, a real character. And, um, and, and but he was, I think he was hurt. I mean, if you have that level of responsibility and you find out you were Zoomed, I'm probably the most important military and intelligence issue in the 20th century, in 21st century. He, he, and he said, well, why wouldn't they have told me? So it, it becomes personal for mm-hmm. these men. Uh, and I said, well, let me ask your qu- question with a question. And he said, oh, what do you mean? He thought I was being an impertinent yank, w- which I can be, but... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, I, I was doing it as sort of a, a way of sort of uh, illustrating this point. And I said, well, what would you have done if you had found out that there was an organization and a project, global, global, that had engaged in assassinations, wet works of innocent people, uh, killings, uh, it's a CIA term, wet works, for, you know, if you're on the watch group list, which I have been on, um, and that is engaging in all manner of criminal activities up to including drug running, has embezzled trillions of dollars from Western economies, and they have the technologies that would save the Earth's biosphere in a generation in poverty, but they are now an existential threat to the world and to the United States and your country, United Kingdom. And he almost jumped out of his chair and says, I wouldn't have stood for it for a bloody minute. Like that, just in a rage. And I went, well, that's why they didn't tell you. He says, what do you mean? I said, because you're not a sociopath. You're not someone who would absolutely, willfully know about that and go along with that agenda. And if, you, if they, I, I call it, because I'm a doctor, I call it a soul biopsy. They do a deep psychological analysis, and they will test people early on in their career if they will do the right thing or the wrong thing. 
And if you're willing to do things that you know are ethically wrong to get ahead, it's the very definition of a sociopath, then you get groomed little by little by little by little by little. And I said, but you are deemed not to be of the right stuff, not John Glenn astronaut right stuff, but the right stuff for someone who had been involved at that level, higher level, because you were not, you would never have gone along with that agenda. And if you hadn't gone along with it and you knew about it, they would flat out kill you. Absolutely. Like the Secretary Forrestal, hmm. for a fact, was thrown out of a hospital window and killed. General George S. Patton, an alleged automobile accident, was killed because he was wanted to disclose to the public the anti-grav device that looked like a saucer that we got from uh, Germany in 1945. I know. How do I know this? Because Paul Mellon, one of the few billionaires in the world who funded Adolf Hitler, along with uh, George, uh, I mean uh, Prescott Bush, George H. W. Bush's father, Henry Ford, and Watson of IBM. Paul Mellon was one of the few billionaires at the end of World War II, uh, the Mellon family. And his grandson's on my team, who happens to have been uh, Senator John Warner's uh, son, the Republican uh, senator from Virginia, just passed away. And <clears throat> Paul Mellon told uh, John Warner IV that when the war ended, they went over and grabbed this thing because Adolf Hitler... His aerospace geniuses were working on this disc that was not jet or rocket. It was electrogravitic. It was electromagnetic. They hadn't perfected it. They were working on that. We had the atomic bomb. But they brought it back. And, and you know, Patton was going, George Patton was going, this is amazing what this would do for the world. No, no. This is going to be deep black. And he did not think that was a wise thing to do. So they took him out made it look like an automobile accident. So this kind of skullduggery happened. So I told the Minister of Defense, this is why they're not going to tell you. And because you're, you're a good man. You're patriotic. You're sincere. You uh, have morals and integrity and ethics. No one like that is going to get at the top of that food chain. Because yeah. by definition, you've got to be somebody willing to subvert the law and do all manner of horrific things. And this is where you, people have to understand there have been CIA directors who were involved with this. I dealt with one who was helping us after he retired, Bill Colby, CIA Director Colby. When was he a director? A Ford-Nixon era. Okay. Way before my time, but he was an old guy wanting to help us. Um, a lot of these people at you know, when they get old enough to think they're going to make meet their maker, they get a conscience or they change it, have a change of heart, mm -hmm. you know, as they get up into their 70s, 80s, you know, like that. Um, but uh, but it, it has nothing to do with your rank, which is what people have to get their head around. Whether you're president, CIA director, sec def, this senator, this member of parliament, if you know about it, it's because you were read in because you're willing to go along with that agenda. If you don't know about it, you have the same rank. It's because they assessed that you wouldn't go along with that agenda, which is an illegal operation. Yes. So this is what everyone needs to get their heads around. Now, the only way to resolve this are people who don't. I, mean, I had this fire of tests where I started out very early in my work on this, involved with the director of the CIA and the head of Army Intelligence and all these sort of people. Um, 
for a reason we can get into in a moment because basically my group had discovered the Rosetta Stone of being able to co contact these objects, and it works. Uh, go look at the movie Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. It's kind of out there stuff, but it, it's real. So I think that when you start to entertain this idea of how this is structured, you got to get your mind first around that. But also, on top of the fact, and this is a really key point, please listen carefully to this, we have this bill that we work to get through that now gives a pathway for anyone to come forward. Now, you know, they will be coming forward to folks who are going to uh, take them into a skiff, and it'll be TSSCI type stuff. Um, so their testimony may or may not get to the public. If they provide it and are co and willing to provide it, I will provide it to the public. Why? So listen very carefully. By 1997 in the fall, we had concluded, my military advisors and all these people, that I had sort of a kitchen cabinet. Because everything you're hearing me done, we've done without an office, without a paid staff, without a budget. It's all been a labor of love. You know, um, I put probably 15 million into doing this. 15 million? Yeah. Earnings and everything. I don't care. I mean, I. You know, when I realized what was at stake, it's like, you know, I walked away from my medical career to yeah. do this, which is very hard. I still have dreams about being in the ER doing stuff, you know, but, you know, that, that chapter is closed. And plus, I'm too old. I'm 67, so, you know, I'm not gonna, yeah, it's, that's not an old, older guy's game. It's tough. Um, <laughs> I was mountain bike and surf. and I had fun. Uh, but this, what you realize over, over the, by, by the, by this, time, and I'd gone through all these meetings and briefings, I said, well, this is an illegal, unsanctioned operation. And if it's illegal, it's outside the Constitution. And therefore, all the National Security Act laws and all the non-disclosure agreements all these men have signed are vitiated. They're null and void, canceled. So we wrote a letter, and those of you in the military may know this, this, this kind of a ruse. It's called a UNOD, unless otherwise directed letter. Okay. And the way it works is, <clears throat> I wrote a letter that's an assessment, and it said, based on the following meetings and, and intelligence we've gathered, it's our assessment that all projects related to the UFO issue, including the man-made research and development projects and the extraterrestrial issue, have been run in an illegal fashion outside the Constitution because the people who should know if they were sanctioned, don't. And they have been deliberately lied to and deceived. Because of that, they cannot enforce legally in any court in the land a prosecution against any whistleblower, anyone with materiel, and anybody with documents. And I said, and I gave 90 days <clears throat> for all the different, it went to every head of every agency and relevant Department of Justice, FBI, you know, the whole alphabet soup. Return, receipt, requested. So you got it, signed for it, got it back. And I waited the 90 days, and then I declared, okay, now we're going to go public. So I pivoted from doing these private, off-site, often, briefings for con members of Congress and executive-level folks over to a publicly disclosed project. And that was how Project Starlight which was this quiet operation that I was doing just with senior folks in the government, 
became the Disclosure Project. And so the Disclosure Project then led to the 2001 National Press Club event you mentioned mm-hmm. on May 9th. But it was, it was, there was a process here. I want people to understand I wanted to dot my I's and cross my T's, that I wasn't running afoul of the law, and I was going to give the U.S. government every opportunity to do the right thing and, and get their, their move into this issue. And they wouldn't. The president was intimidated. Members of Congress didn't know what to do about it because they were individual members. They hadn't come together and passed a law. That took another 20 years. Mm-hmm. See, I'm trying to give you the arc of this so yep. people understand the context. So <clears throat> at that point, we did it. And, you know, I, I had the first 100 or so of these guys that we have on videotape. And then about 22 of them came to the National Press Club event. Now, the ones that are the more deeper sources, some of them didn't want to come forward because they were afraid. And even though they knew about my, unless otherwise directed letter, that was from a civilian making the statement. And yeah. they wanted an official pathway. And I said, well, I don't control the Congress. I can only, you know, sort of advise folks. And if they don't do it now, and this is why this is such a huge breakthrough for your people listening to this show. There are a lot of Navy SEALs and Delta guys and Force guys and uh, certain Marine branches that have been at facilities, been operative uh, tactically or operationally involved. We need you to contact us. And here's the website, SiriusDisclosure.com. But you can just write to info at S-I-R-I-U-S Disclosure.com. And we'll handle it very confidentially. Um, If you don't want to be known publicly, you never will be. But I will arrange for you to be brought to the correct people in D.C. who are the best folks I've ever found. They're former special operations military that are now the equivalent of a— if they they were in the military, they'd be a two-star general, but they're working in the congressional end uh, helping with this. And they're not known by the public. It's not what you see in the media. And they will see that that information gets to the people who need to know. I can't be more specific because um, I'm, I'm walking a razor's edge here with mm-hmm. what I'm saying. But that's what we're doing. And we need people to understand that this is a patriotic duty given what is at stake. Because here's what at stake. When I first started this whole podcasting thing, an online store was about as far from my mind as you can get. And now, most of you already know this, but I'm selling... Vigilance Elite Gummy Bears Online. We actually have an entire merch collection that's coming soon. And let me tell you, it is so easy because I'm using a platform that is extremely user-friendly, and that's Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I really like about Shopify is it prompts you all the things that you want to do with your web store, like connect your social media accounts, write blog posts, just have a blog in general. Shopify actually prompts you to do this. You want people to leave reviews under your items? You can do that on Shopify. It's very simple. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to the other leading commerce platforms. Shopify is a global force for millions of entrepreneurs in over 175 countries and power 10% of all e-commerce platforms 
here in the United States. You can sign up right now for $1 a month at shopify.com slash Sean. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Sean now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash Sean. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. Keeping everything bottled up can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sean today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sean. First of all, the Constitution and how intact is the constitutional government of the United States that's been completely subverted by this issue and the people who control it. Secondly, the future for our children. I mean, I just had my 12th grandchild born. What kind of world do we have? You know, I always tell people, we don't have a free market. How do you have a free market if the most important scientific technologies in, in the last 100 years have been ruthlessly suppressed, people killed, and they've been illegally classified so that we're still burning diesel and jet fuel A. Yeah. We don't need it. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about so why they're hiding all this technology when it comes to free energy with the utilities and everything, just to piece it together for everybody? I do. It, 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 it's one word or two words, money and power. Now, when you're talking about most of us think, gee, money, do I have enough money to put my kids through college? <laughs> These guys are, that's not the issue. It's massive macroeconomic geopolitical power. Because now we're talking hundreds of trillions of dollars in assets. Mm -hmm. Now keep in mind the entire U.S. government budget, whatever it is, $5 trillion, it's a rounding error. And most of that's not discretionary spending. That's entitlements, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. So when you're looking at these interests that want to maintain the status quo of the world financial, macroeconomic, and energy system, they will do almost anything to maintain that, even if it kills the planet, keeps, you know, right now there's 3 billion souls on the planet that don't have any way to cook their food. They're chopping down rainforests and shrub in the desert in Africa. They, they don't have any electricity or gas. Yeah. Three billion. This just came out in The Economist, a mainstream uh, economic journal. So how do we, and, and that, of course, builds into the, the extreme poverty. It leads to radicalization, terrorists, resentment of the West. I mean, there are huge implications for this mistake that was made almost a century ago. Now, you know, and this is known by a number of people, uh, you know, how, what, what a huge mistake this is. Um, so when you're talking about the motivation here, I mean, people have killed for a lot more than $900 trillion, you know. And the level of corruption is worrisome. Now, in 92, 
uh, General Albert Stubblebine III, uh, Bert, who had been head of special forces and army intelligence, Fort Huachuca. He intercepted me after we had this major contact event out in Florida and in, in near Pensacola. And he uh, subsequently, about a month later, personally offered me $2 billion to not pursue what I was doing and become part of his team. $2 billion. With a B, you know, in 92. And I thought it was a joke, uh, and it wasn't. And he um, described to me a, a sort of a black fund that they had gotten from the collapse of the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, and that he, that I would have complete access and control over it. But I have to be on their sort of team. They were trying to neutralize what I was doing. And as many people know, the CIA and some of those organizations have remote viewers who use consciousness to see remote places in the future. Yeah, they've done studies with the Monroe Institute. Mm. Oh yeah, I knew Bob Monroe, all all those guys. Um, And Ingo Swan (laughs) is a friend of mine, all these guys. But um, so they knew what kind of trouble this could make, I could make. So people understand, have to also get their mind around the kind of just sheer, you know, bribery corruption that happens on top of threats, oppo research. They'll make up deep fake photos and videos to defame you. I've been called everything you can be. And then they try to buy you off. And then if, if they have to, they'll try to kill you. If you're doing things at this level, I've been like such a troublemaker for them. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's not so hard to believe anymore, you know? Well, well, anyone who's done your work can see the kind of things that could happen. I can see it. Yeah. But I think a lot of the U.S. population can't see it. You know, unfortunately, I think the maybe unfortunately, but fortunately, the Epstein trials, mm-hmm. you know, and then everything that happened around <laughs> right. of that, around that, it's, you know, the judge was, they, there was a assassination attempt on the judge. Mm-hmm. Epstein didn't kill himself, mm-hmm. all these things, you know, right. And, right. and so it's, it's becoming more, I hate to say. Accepted. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say accepted, but it is, it's out there mm-hmm. and it's, yeah. it's becoming more and more and more common. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that, so imagine the stakes of something like you just mentioned, uh, which I had no knowledge of, and it's just whatever, you know, people are weird. Um, <laughs> imagine something a million fold mm-hmm. in terms of its implications for the stakeholders who want to maintain their uh, hegemony and control of the global military, industrial, financial sector. That's the level we're talking about. We're not talking about the boots on the ground, the guys who are the colonels who manage. I just brought a lieutenant colonel to D.C. who had been involved with these projects. And he had been watching what I'd been doing for 20 years and was waiting for this law to pass. So what I'm saying is that we really need to have people come forward now. I'm, I'm actually begging people. Um, we've worked so hard to get it to this point, And it's... Uh, it's it, it really is. I know that most people who who have come forward, they were involved for a brief period of time, or they were in an office here, or at a skiff there, or at a, a military facility, or a corporate research project, and they don't know necessarily this whole picture, and so they are not culpable. They're not guilty of having done anything improper. They were doing as they were told, and they thought. It was all being run properly, 
legally. It wasn't. Yeah. So they were used. Um, and I think that they're, that's very important. And so they have no liability. And now they're protected by the law, and they're protected, if we have to, tactically for security, which I have. And, and, but I think at this point, that, that sort of thing, it can't happen because the profile on this is so high. You know, I can reach, I have a bunch of celebrities who like what we're doing. I, something like that happens that I know about in my team. You know, there, there would be a billion people who know about it. Well, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about the suppression of all this stuff and Project Mockingbird? Mm-hmm. Can we yeah. go into that? Well, Mockingbird was one project, uh, but there, it's an ongoing process that started uh, really in full bore in the 50s. And that was to have uh, major media people who were dual agents. They were in the media, but they were also on the payroll of the agency, the CIA or others, who, and I have a document we published from 90, I believe it was 92, where it says, it's a CIA document, we have people in every major news organization, it says it flat out, that were th are there to control, stop, alter stories at our request. So here's, you know, I mentioned one myth, and that is that we have a free market and a, a, a free economy. We don't. It's managed. Because there's no way we have a free market economy when the most important sciences and technologies the last hundred years have been ruthlessly suppressed. But the other myth that Americans buy into is that we have a free press and the fourth estate, as it's called, a check and balance against excesses. But the major media, and also now the major tech companies, are actually actively involved in suppressing the story or spinning it. Now, what do I mean? When you see people on CNN or CBS 60 Minutes, the folks that they will allow to talk about it are people that have been cherry-picked by this cabal, this secret government group, to say what they're told to say. It's scripted. Do you have any examples of this? Yes, of course. Uh, Nick Pope, Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, uh, all those guys. Okay. And they, are, uh, they have been, I know for a fact, been told what to say. And so they say, number one, first big lie, these are a threat to the national security, inferring that from outer space there's a threat. It's not true. If civilizations that are hundreds of thousands to millions of years more advanced than we are, if they were a threat, we'd be a charcoal floating through space about 1945, August, mm -hmm. with the atomic bomb. Uh, number two, we'll get to that in a moment. Number two, they will say that we don't know what these are. Maybe they're from China. Maybe they're, and even senior members of the Senate Intelligence Community have said that. We don't know. Because some of those guys have gone up there and whispered in their ear all this disinformation and spin. I know who they are. When in reality, we know what they are, where they come from, which ones are man-made and which ones are extraterrestrial. I absolutely, we absolutely have that data. But see, someone like myself saying that, that's going to get cut out of any show. For example, I was on a show, had 22 million people listening live back some years ago. And I started talking about some of the senior membership of this committee that's running these, this covert program. And I got to one name, 
You know, I talked about Admiral Bobby Ray Enman. He's been involved for decades with this. And then he went to the you know, Board of Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC. It's one of the crown jewels of contracting on these uh, exotic propulsion and energy systems. And then, I think it was during the election, the second election for, for W, uh, I, I mentioned that one of the most senior people is Dick Cheney. And we went to an unscheduled commercial break. A voice broke in. And the host had no idea. And it said, Dr. Greer, change the direction of this conversation now, or we will dump this show live. I said, with 22 million people listening? He says, yes. Don't, wow. don't talk about this. And the host was so sad. And the host to this day will say, oh, we can talk about anything. It's like when Joe Rogan says, oh, yes, I can talk about free speech. To make his deal with Spotify, the, the show I did with Joe Rogan, forcibly by the corporate entity, had to be taken out. It is not in the lineup. You have to find it elsewhere. So anyone who thinks that the media doesn't purge whistleblowers of, of someone of what we're doing is naive. So Mockingbird, there have been a lot of code names for this. But uh, we have a Air Force Intelligence, AFOSI guy that I have on tape. And it's in the unacknowledged documentary. People should look at it. It's for free. You can see it for free on all these sites. Um, and and uh, he was at Kirkland Air Force Base. And he admitted, and I'm quoting, taking bags of cash to people both in the local and national media, reporters, yeah. to secure their cooperation with telling stories or altering or putting a spin on them. So that corruption and rot reaches very firmly into the fourth estate and now big tech. And, you know, where it's been proven now through files released that people are shadow banned, algorithms are changed. We had a whistleblower that uh, we put his interview, he was willing to do it posthumously. So I did the interview with him. He died. His wife sent me his death certificate. And then I uploaded it on our YouTube channel, which I have. You can go to it. Um, and his name was Pawlik, P-A-W-E-L-E-C. And he had been involved in the development of the embeddable uh, radio frequency chips. Really? Yeah. And, and he knew of their use in uh, simulating alien abductions that were being done by the CIA and military. We'll get into this in a moment. How deep the deception goes. So we put this up. In a few days, it hit 675,000 views. And then overnight, we check, and the counter is down to 6,700. They went in and chopped off those numbers so it would take it out of the algorithms as a trending video. I've seen it happen. Yeah. And so people who think that doesn't happen, I just want to say, you know, I got a bridge to sell you to nowhere or swampland to sell you because they're just simply naive. Um, and this is another reason why we have to find creative strategies to do this because um, the, the corporate... If you look at the major media, there's a handful of individuals and corporations that control all of them, all of it. And that becomes a problem when there's this collusion between these covert operations and corporate. Now, to give a little history lesson, late 1800s, early 20th century, something developed called fascism. Of course, now anyone that you disagree with, you call them a fascist. Mm -hmm. But the, the definition of fascism were large financial and corporate interests 
controlling government policy and what the government would do against the interests of the people. That's what fascism is. Go look it up. Thomas Jefferson warned of it. He actually wrote, uh, warned of the unchecked power of the corporations corrupting government. That's where we are, but on a massive scale globally. So that's happened with the media, it's happened with the government programs, and it's happened in other sectors, financial, what have you. Um, so the interests of we, the people, have gotten run over by the interests of a relatively handful of extraordinarily powerful corporate and individuals. How many people do you think are involved at that level? There are two or 300 people on this committee. Um, and one branch of it is called MAGIC, the Majority Intelligence Committee, M-A-J-I, but committee is a MAGIC. Well, I have a document that lists it. So this is in my book, uh, Unacknowledged. That document's in there. It's a secret document that I acquired and published. They can't punish me because I declared the projects illegal. A lot of people say, how have they not pursued you? I said, they can't. Because let's, you know, one, I had an FBI guy say, I said, let's put the handcuffs on right now and get on the dance floor. Because this is going to go to the, uh, uh, even if it goes in camera, it's, it's going to go to a court and I will be able to prove, prove. Because what are we going to do? We're going to subpoena the CI director that I briefed. We're going to subpoena the senators I have briefed. We're going to subpoena the head of the defense intelligence. And all these people will have to tell the truth or lie under oath that, in fact, they were left out. And so I said, I don't think you want a court case like that. Now, you know, people say, man, this guy's a son of a bitch. Well, I'm sort of a fighter, and I'm not, easy, I'm not intimidated. But, you know, when they, so they offer me $2 billion. I go, you know, fuck off. Oh, sorry, my language, but, um, you know, get lost. And uh, then, you know, they threatened. And in the 90s, we had three people on my team killed, and I was almost killed. And then I put... Uh, security in place. It's invisible. But basically, there are very powerful people who want us to get this done because they know what's at stake. And we've authorized lethal force if anyone that I'm working with is harmed. And that's in place. That's been in place since 1998. Since 1998. Yeah. And that's why no one I'm working with has had that happen. Since? Yep. Since 98, nobody. Oh, God. 25 years. Well, that's good. Let's talk about let's talk about your new documentary and what's coming up in that. Yep. Well, if you go to um, thelostcenturyfilm.com, you'll see it's crowdfunded. So, give you an idea, all these documentaries we've done, we won't let a corporation or a studio fund it. We've crowdfunded from the people. Can you explain why you have that that way? It's it's so that it can't be corrupted. I knew it. We, we control 100% of the content. Uh, nothing can be taken out. Good for I, you. I have final control over what's in and what's out. And it can't be watered down by some corporate shill or some media executive who's actually just been bribed by the uh, government or some corporate entity working on behalf of this secret government. So I'm very careful about it. And uh, that's why we did it, because I tried doing things with other people, with their productions, and they would take it, spend it, mutilate it. <laughs> yeah. And I went, no, we need to do this ourselves with integrity. 
Um, so it's crowdfunded, you know, and like this last, this film, the lost century film.com, we've had one donor for 150,000 and, and a bunch of people donated $3. It didn't matter. But now we're, we're at 421,000 out of a $500,000 budget. So we're 80, Four percent, if my mind's calculating correctly, you can run a calculator. Um, you have to do this as an emergency doctor, and you know. um, and you know, so we're we're getting there. But we need people's help. It'd be great if we went over that amount, because then we can do more uh, what's called marketing and promotion of it. Um, and it's going to pull the curtain back, specifically on the lost hundred years of these technologies, and it's going to go all the way back more than a hundred years to the <clears throat> stubble-filled earth battery and Nikola Tesla standing there with his old farmer where he's running his whole farm on this device where he has stakes in the ground that are tapping into this electromagnetic and mostly magnetic flux field and running generators running his farm. This is 1902. That's in 1902? 1902. And Nikola Tesla is standing there. I got the picture. This documentary is going to blow. It goes from that all the way to the Lockheed Skunk Works devices that started being built in the 50s. We have witnesses and transcripts of the Norton Air Force Base show, California. Norton's closed now. But they had an air show in 1988 where there were three of these man-made UFOs, ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles, hovering in this hangar. And those, we have those fully illustrated. We have enough detail. We actually have the schematics of the interior. You have the schematics yeah. of the interior. And the, the exterior, how they look. And these were built, <clears throat> interestingly, the witness who was there was an aerospace designer. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Now that my business is expanding, being fluent in multiple languages is more important than ever. Babbel's courses are convenient and work with my busy schedule. Here's a special. Limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash SRS. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash SRS. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SRS. Rules and restrictions may apply. Visit babbel.com for terms and details. Saw that the components in it, now this is 1988, were from the late Mercury uh, era, so the Mercury you know, capsule, which was late 50s, early 60s. And they had markings and charts on them where they had been out in space around our solar system. They were specifically told these had gone through the solar system. Now, those were from the late 50s, early 60s. No, um, no jet fuel, no rockets. Are these going to be in the dock? Yep, everything. So this is going to be shocking. That's going to be a shocking thing. Oh, yeah. So it's about an hour and 48 minutes right now. We're just finishing it. We just had a great guy who's a supporter, uh, the Limp Biscuit lead guy of Fred Durst. He's agreed to narrate it. So we, I just. He's narrating it? Yeah. 
That's awesome. So I just got out of a, a studio with him a couple of days ago where we were laying down the track for the narration. But he's a great guy, very smart, super supportive of what we're doing. Good, good. Yeah. So what else is going to be in there? Well, we're going to actually have um, a, a lot of the uh, devices going through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that weren't the flying devices. But I'll give you an example. There was an inventor named Floyd Sweet, and he he had a solid-state device, looked like a little bigger than a cigarette pack, that you could attach to an electric motor, say for a car. It wasn't plugged in. It, 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 once it got going, it was a, um, a zero-point quantum vacuum flux, and it would run a 300-horsepower motor. So imagine having a 300-horsepower motor in your Tesla or your truck, and this little and there are no batteries. You don't have 900 pounds of lithium-ion batteries, and the lithium-ion batteries really are destroying the environment. And you never have to plug it in. About the time he was going to get, uh, he was meeting with some people at GM who thought they were interested, but they were actually just trying to find out what he had. After that meeting, he died suddenly, suspiciously. How? People claiming, well, he dropped out of a heart attack. And that was plausible because he was an elderly guy. Mm -hmm. But before that, he had had an assassination attempt. He was going up some steps and a sniper was trying to shoot it, but he, he didn't know it, but he tripped just as the bullet went right past his head. And we have the testimony of a lieutenant colonel who was involved in this case, uh, who is a physicist also. This is going to be shocking to people. Oh, yeah. Utterly shocking. You know, these, these mysterious deaths, some people are like, oh, you know, that, no way. Well, it does. We talked about the Epstein stuff. Let's talk, you know, the guy that invented the hydrocar, gone. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's I mean, gone. there have been so many. I've worked with people. And then there's there was. Who've done that. Uh, if you could refresh my memory, but didn't, wasn't there somebody else that disappeared and they just happened to be involved in one of the mass shootings? Uh, yeah, there have been a number of, of folks where things get set up like that around them. There was a guy doing up this recent shooting up in New York where there was a man who had recreated this water fuel cell where your car could run off water. Yeah. And just bizarre stuff. So one of the problems with all these inventors. I mean, it's not a consequence. It's not a, not a, con it's not a coincidence. No, no, these are, these are hits. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, is that if you're a brilliant electromagnetic engineer, but you don't know the, 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 the barrier about the poke with that technology and what they'll do to keep it suppressed, you, you're destined to fail. So one of the reasons we're doing this documentary is to provide the context so that people who do have these devices come to us and we have a strategy that we briefly outline in this documentary of how to fix this problem. Well, how do you fix it? The big mistake people make, they try to patent it. And we're going to, we have actually a national security order denial on a patent of one of these devices from an inventor I know. So we're going to prove this is not a conspiracy theory. Here it is from the patent office. So they ain't going to allow it. It gets confiscated. We have a patent examiner who's a PhD physicist testify that they confiscate these things. Um, that's in the movie. We And then we, we say, okay, we, how are you going to get it out then? 
you have, if you try to keep it, how it operates secret, then you're very vulnerable. So one of the things I did for the disclosure project for my own security is to decentralize everything I have. It's called detargeting. So why have a big bullseye on your ass when if you were to disperse all your information and intelligence, which I have done, it would still be out there. Uh, moreover, you create a dead man trigger. So I've since the 90s, I've had a dead man trigger of stuff I'm holding back. That if something happens to me, that hits the internet and every celebrity that supports what we're doing that can reach a billion people, they get it and they put it out on Instagram and boom, you know, and this is stuff they do not want out. Mm -hmm. It's names, it's stuff that I have not released and where and who. But people say, why don't you release it? I said, well, you know, this is one of my insurance policies. But what these inventors don't get is that they don't do that. They have no sec ops. So they have no security protocols. They just think I have a better mousetrap. The world's going to beat a path to my door. When in reality, Murder Incorporated beats a path to their door. Okay. Or it just gets confiscated. Most of the time, it's not even that. They're so crazy. They think we're going to keep this secret. Nobody will know how it works. And I'm going to just sort of be able to get it out there without no one proving it. And I said, no, no, if you're making an outrageous claim that you're pulling energy out of the space around us, it's got to be released for scientific review. It's got to be reproduced by multiple labs and people who are skilled in the art. You've got to open source it. Open source means it's just out there mm -hmm. at the first level. Now, maybe at the second level, you could patent because then the whole world knows. So what we're proposing is that at a level one uh, phase of these new technologies coming out, we're going to leave the things that fly alone, because those could be missile delivery systems. But the things that would run your house, your car, whatever, a boat, a truck, those need to come out like 100 years ago. So the way to do it, and this we outline, is that we would disclose it publicly on blockchain-protected systems, massively, multiple celebrities. And the first 20 of these devices we would reproduce would be running... Demi Lovato's home, or Leo DiCaprio's house, or uh, Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, or whoever, all these people interested in this subject. Why? Because the media could suppress this, but you can't suppress dozens of celebrities with a billion followers. Yeah. Got it? I mean, you know, sort of like, it's, an, it's, a, it's a very well thought through strategy that's unconventional. Because my view is, you put a boulder in front of, of where we're trying to flow, you just the water, if you're water, you just flow around it. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Even if they do try to suppress it once, you know, because they yep. could take the post, they could take the video. It's already been out it's there. Out. So many people have already seen it. They would have to, they would have to delete the accounts before, before it gets out. Well, they'd have to tear down the whole internet. If you have, so our plan would be to have a multi-nation, multi-site, blockchain-protected release of the, the schematics, how it works, everything about it. So anyone could reproduce it if, if you know how to do that. I mean, I couldn't even make a toaster oven. How many frame. people do you think are out there that know how to produce this kind of technology? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds. Hundreds, maybe, maybe more. Over the years, there have been thousands of these devices that have come and gone. Most of them, people just take it to their grave 
because they don't understand the strategy of what they need to do. So they'll make a deal with someone financially, and that someone is is fronting for another interest that suppresses it, mm-hmm. buys it out. It's called black shelving. It happens all the time in the corporate world. And you want something that's a com- competition, you create a corporate entity, you fund it, get controlling interest in it, and then you just put it on black shelf. I know of multiple devices that would s- literally save humanity and the planet that that's happened to. So you can't do it that way because the legal and financial traps are real. The national security applications that have been abused and under the patent law are real. This, the law century, this film is going to prove all this to the extent that the public, you know, and it's an hour and 48 minutes, but uh, it's all there. Um, so I think that what we're asking people is another ask. If you know of someone or you have one of these systems, get it to us. We have a strategy in the contacts to get it out. Now, the second level, people say, well, I did all this work. I, I just want to make money on it. I said, that is the second phase. So once it's disclosed publicly, it's a little bit like DARPA creating the Internet. So everyone uses the Internet, and, and there's no one who owns the Internet. But now that, that whole platform has created dozens of billion and trillion-dollar companies, right? Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen here. Because I think we have it, if we're lucky, 20 years to make this transition. Why do you say that? Because the rate of decay of the biosphere, but also the geopolitical problems we're facing, when you have this growing number of the world's population in utter despair and poverty, and that's all based on the fact of the zero-sum game of our energy and financial system. There's no changing that. I mean, if, if all 8 billion people on the planet live like you and I do, with air conditioning or trucks, or this, the price of a gallon of fuel would be $100 a gallon. So there's, it, it, the system we have now requires the geopolitical and military instability. It, it's it's a, a natural outgrowth of it. This is why, when I had this conversation with Senator Barry Goldwater, who was the senior senator from Arizona who ran for president in 1964, and, and lost. John McCain took his seat. And I was at his home in Paradise Valley. I was just there um, this week, but this was back in the 90s. And he said, you know, it was a goddamn mistake then and a goddamn mistake now. This was ever kept secret. And because he and I had this long afternoon discussing this and what the implications of the secrecy have been, but also what are the uh, wonderful implications of, of fixing this. It's nothing less than starting a whole new chapter in human civilization, where in 20 years, there would be no poverty on the planet, no pollution, unbelievable abundance. Because if you bring to zero the cost of energy, of transportation, manufacturing, da 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 you're, you're creating a global economy that's decentralized, where every village, home, whatever, is self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a libertarian's dream, right? Um, but it's also an environmentalist dream. So I tell people this crosses all the political left-right stuff if you understand what's at stake here. So in this one movement, you, 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 you solve some of the environmental uh, existential problems we're facing. You're going to solve a lot of these geopolitical problems with oil and oil supply, Mideast, Russia, gas. But you're also going to in, in a real sense, liberate 
the world from the current system so it can flourish without it being this, a handful of centralized choke points for energy. That's the plan. Now, to do it, you need to have something that works. And I always tell people, a lot of people say, well, here's a black box and take my word for it. I go, no, no, I don't take the word on something that's important. It's got to be, we have to have the plans for it. We have to reproduce it. And we have to be able to have other people, third party, and reproduce it. And it should work as advertised. Most of these inventors don't want to do that because they don't know anything about science. The sine qua non of science is independent verification and proof, you know. And that's the other problem. A lot of these people have these inventions, but they keep the sauce secret. But no one's going to believe it. Why should they? I wouldn't. Yeah. Now, because I've gone into the labs and had it tested, I know they exist. But they don't want to turn over the secret to the public because they're paranoid about having their... It's like Gollum. We use this in the movie. And then My Precious Ring. Remember the movie? Yeah. And it's like they're trying to protect that, but they don't understand if they could get it out to the whole world as an open source, let's say proof of principle system. The next phase, they could then create specific products that could be patented. Why? Because now the public would demand it. The scientific community would have it, and the public would say, I want that. I want that thing running my F-150 truck. Yeah. So I'm not spending $100 to fill it up if you're a carpenter like my dad. So that is something that, you know, becomes a really powerful uh, solution. We're spending trillions of dollars on, frankly, fake environmental solutions. You um, know, that I know you're right because we, we actually covered, uh, I did an episode on in, environmental solutions, which could help with fires. Could help with world hunger. It could help with it could help with mm -hmm. a lot of things, yep. and and it got zero attention. And these guys have been walked into Congress, mm -hmm. been walked into the Senate. Nobody gave them the time of day. Nope. And um, yeah, they so. need to contact here. If someone has something like this, and the reason they need to contact us is that I've worked with inventors since '91 who have had some iteration version of these, and. There's a certain number of known fatal mistakes they make that I'm outlining. So what I've tried to do, create a strategy that accounts for those mistakes. Um, and it's kind of unconventional because you, most people, when they get something like this, oh, my God, I have to keep a secret. I got a patent and I got to do this. No, no, no. You take it quickly because the most dangerous point is when you have something that works but you don't have millions of people who know about it yet. That's the window where it can be confiscated, where your lab can be firebombed, where it can be stolen, where you can be imprisoned, where killed, or whatever. So that, that is just plain not smart. Um, now, it, to most people don't know that that 800-pound you know, gorilla is out there ready to squash you like a wormy apple. They go, oh, I'm great. I'm fine as frog's hair. And until they get hit with these things. How many of these devices have you seen personally? Oh, uh, maybe a dozen or so over the years that, what, that have been legitimate. Can you describe what a couple of them look like? Well, one of them will be in this documentary, and it was out in the desert of Arizona. It was there in September of uh, 2022, and uh, this old guy had out, and out there, uh, it looked like a shoebox, and it was sitting there running, 
They'd been there for two years putting out three kilowatts of power. Really? Mm. The average home on average uses about one and a half kilowatts. What's inside of it? Um, he had some fake circuits to, so that nobody could steal his little secret ring like Gollum mm-hmm. or the rings. Uh, and there were some <clears throat> specialized magnesium alloy plates. And it was basically resonating with the magnetic field, sort of similar to what Tesla did with the Wardenclyffe, his big Wardenclyffe system, but a much higher tech version. What was the Wardenclyffe? That was what Nikola Tesla had up on, out on Long Island. That was this such a wireless transmission of power, and it, w- it was pulling power from the magnetic field of the Earth and converting it to electricity. Okay. And that all got eventually got blown up. But Tesla had amazing breakthroughs. One of the things we're going to show in this documentary, people think it's an urban myth, that the FBI raided his apartment the day, when he died and confiscated all his secret papers. I have the Department of Defense letter to the FBI demanding that the FBI turn those over to them. That's going to be in the documentary. This is all going to be in the documentary? Yep. Back to the box. Does it make any sound? How does it hook up to? The only thing you hear are the things it's running. He was running air conditioners and lights and this and that. We had no no wires going into it with any power. The startup battery was a little teeny three volt that you could take out once it was running. And how it was, does it connect? To what? To air conditioners, to, to, oh, to conventional electric. wires. It was a, it had one ten and two twenty. Okay. Um, and then so it could run anything. You could run your house. You could run your car. How did this guy have it hooked up? Was it into the like? Did he have it wired into the fuse box or what? No, he had uh, no because he didn't want to have that on the grid. When he did it on the grid, the power company saw that there was something going on. Thought that there was a solar panel tied into the grid that wasn't legal because you have to get a permit. Hmm. And so um, he had it off. He had his own his own workshop and other part out on his property, just running independently off of it. Okay. So all the wires, air conditioning, refrigerator, everything. Makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, but his strategy is to keep it secret. And if someone, he said, well, if someone got this and tried to figure out what was going, I have a circuit in there so it destroys itself. It's this sort of paranoid inventor stuff, right? Uh, Which I get. You know, he spent a lot of time and money and his life's work. But I say, dude, this is how you take this to the grave. You know, he's, he's elderly. So what I have seen over and over again is very frustrating, is dozens of these accounts where they got it to a certain point, no one knew exactly how they were doing it, they kept all that secret, next thing you know, someone's bought it off, they've died, or whatever, and it's lost forever. So So we have to break this cycle. It's a crazy cycle. You've seen a couple, uh, around a dozen, I believe you just said. Are they all very similar? Oh, no. There are very different ways. There are like probably 18 ways to skin this cat. Really? Yeah. Are they all small, compressed, size of the shoebox type? No. Nope. There are some that are big rotary systems that are really? bigger. Uh, yep. Um, so you'll see in the, the documentary, I think we feature maybe a dozen of them historically that have existed with photos and videos and test results. It'll be an interesting documentary for people who kind of, we want to pull the curtain back on those systems all the way up to the reverse engineering and the things that fly that Lockheed Skunk Works and Northrop Grumman and these Raytheon have. 
This is going to be, I cannot wait to see this documentary. <laughs> this It's coming out in June. June 6th. June, June 6th. 6th. Then you have June 12th. Yes, yeah, so uh, six days later, we're going to have a National Press Club event again. Disclosure 2.0 in Washington, D.C. I would love to be there for that. Yeah, well, you're invited. And um, we need as many media people and podcast people there. Um the weekend before, that's a Monday, that weekend before on the 10th and 11th, we're going to have a conference open to the public where we be unpacking the uh, intelligence archive, everything we've collected. Right now it's about five or six terabytes. Okay. It's huge. It's like crazy. Tens of thousands of government documents, uh, photos, videos, drawings, and testimony of, I think we have 109 cases of crash retrievals where 109 cases yeah and you will see you'll when you see the the drawings and the what the military guys described and the retrieval of these that's all going to be there now are these all all these people that are bringing this information to you and, and i think there's going to be a lot more because the whistleblowers um for your call out are where are all these people coming from are they all from the u.s are they coming from all over the world some have Primarily. been Canadian, Australian, UK. Um, we have some, we have a big Russian file from the KGB era that was given to me. Um, that's in the archive. Uh, very interesting cases, landing cases. Marina Popovich, who is Pavel Popovich, is why they were both cosmonauts, had encounters in a case where one landed, an extraterrestrial vehicle landed. And we have all that information. Uh, I flew her over in 1995 for this Project Starlight gathering, uh, the very first gathering of these whistleblowers and witnesses. And then in 97, we did it again as for members of Congress off-site in Georgetown. Uh, and, you know, chairman of committees were there. At that stage, none of them had coalesced into a movement to get where we are now. And then in 2001, we did the National Press Club event. So this has been an evolving process mm -hmm. that's, you know, when people say, when do you think this will be done by? I said 1993. <laughs> so 30 years ago, in my, in my optimism and naivete, I thought, well, if I put the best evidence together, and that's what we called it for, for the president at the time. It was Clinton, the CIA director, all these guys. The best available evidence, BAE, you'll see that markings on some of my notes that are in this archive. We're also going to release all those documents. Last night at dinner, we had, yeah. we had discussed some of this, and you had mentioned that the, you have video of an extraterrestrial being dissected. Photo. It's photo. a photo. Excuse me. That is very strange from 1920s. The provenance of that is very interesting. A woman uh, contacted me, and her grandmother had worked at Los Alamos, I mean, at the Trinity site on the Manhattan Project. But then they got moved to Roswell, and her mother was there when they, those three craft went down. We found two of them. One wasn't found until 1951. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, that was an early electro DEW, directional energy weapon, that downed those. And people say, oh, they crashed in a thunderstorm. I'm going, I'm quite sure... If you can go through interstellar space, you can navigate an Earth-based thunderstorm. Um, but I have a document 
and this is in the uh, unacknowledged book, of a field agent writing to J. Edgar Hoover about this so-called Roswell event, saying that these flying saucers, they called them disks, crashed because we had switched on a new, quote, radar system. So for those people who don't know, radar is often a euphemism for both a system that detect objects bouncing radio waves off of aircraft, but also in some of them are active warfare systems, electromagnetic warfare systems. So they had an early electromagnetic system in that new radar system. And this field agent, Guy Hotel, H-O-T-T-E-L-L, wrote to J. Ever Hoover as a field agent, I have that document. When I released it, 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 the FBI had to release it. It became the most watched, looked at document on the FBI site. But it flat out says that that's what happened. So um, that woman, the grandmother, somehow went from the Manhattan Project to being at Roswell. Well, why? In 1947, the Roswell Army Air Base, it was before the Air Force was formed, was the only uh, atomic bomb squadron in the world, the 508th squadron in the whole planet. So she was there because she followed that operation from the origins of the atomic bomb, you know, out at White Sands and, and out there, to New Mexico. So when that event happened, apparently someone must have brought in, this is conjecture now, some kind of archive of previous encounters with these objects that went way back. And someone in the photo lab took a picture of a picture. We've proven that's what it is. And it's a, it's an extraterrestrial on a, on a dissection with a group of doctors and what looked like some suits in the background. And we've, we've had the top historian, medical historian, in the world, look at the equipment, the suits, the gloves, and dated it from between 1922 and 29. Um, now, the rest of it, we don't know. We don't know what event that was, where it was taken. We're trying to track down the personnel that are in there, but we're talking 100 years ago. What does the ET look like? Does it have arms? Does it have legs? Yeah, fingers, arms, legs, head. The head is covered with a towel. Apparently, it was badly mutilated. Um, it had a weird, almost like a spine uh, on the front, like we have a sternum that you could see, like a bumpy thing. Um, different hands and feet. Two arms? Two arms, two, two legs. legs. Oh, yeah. They're all um, like that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And not tiny. Uh, I think it was around five feet. It's hard to tell from this mm -hmm. photo. So we have a lot of material like this that's uh, going to be in there. That's going to be in the dock, too. Not in the documentary, in this archive. Okay. So one of the things we're also trying to find is someone who can develop, we talked about this, a, a website, so that we're refining this archive. This archive I'm handing off to the U.S. government already, the raw data. But we want to organize it more. Right now it's just hundreds of thousands of things. I, mean, I don't know if people realize how much five, six terabytes of data is. It's mm -hmm. enormous. Um, but what we wanted to do is create something that's available to the public and to the media that has all of this. And the only thing that won't be in there are the things I must redact, people's names uh, uh, and their personal identifying information. Not credibility, but I, I understand. Unless they've come public already with the disclosure project or in some other setting, 
their information will be blackened out like you see an NSA document or something. Yeah. But what they know will be in there, their, their information in terms of the content. Like I was at this, I was on the Nellis range and I retrieved an extraterrestrial vehicle was downed and or an ARV went down, a man-made UFO went down and I was there and it, were, it had gotten malfunctioned and broke apart and we were picking it up. I have those kind of things. And so that'll be in there, but without the person's name and DD-214 and all that. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to make that dis, um, connection. This so that's going to come out around the same, we hope. I can't promise this because I'm not a tech guy. In fact, if I have to turn my computer on, my wife does it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm a, a digital moron, frankly. But um, And I'll admit it. But... The uh, if we can find someone to create a secure website that's searchable and well organized for this archive, we hope to have it up by June first. Well, I can't wait to make that connection. It's one of the most brilliant minds that I've ever encountered. And, Great. Uh, I think you're going to find a lot more use for. Yeah, we we need a lot of help. I mean, I, people, you know, because I'm known in the public, think we have some vast business with a building with staff. It's my wife and I do this out of a corner of our living room with volunteers and a couple people under contract to help us with things. Um, it's a very modest undertaking um, and a labor of love, um, but, you know, it's just the way it is. I'm just not, I'm not that, I'm not good at business. I'm good with ideas and science and strategy and I'm not a, I need a business mogul help us, but anyway. Yeah. We've gotten this far, um, but we need people who have that talent, who, who, but it's got to be someone who really can do. Also, the problem with it, it's not just documents. Now, we probably have 100,000 government documents from all over the world. Amazing stuff. Um, and, but we also have video of all these witnesses that have allowed themselves to be publicly known. Most people haven't seen most of it. Because at the National Press Club and what have you, and these documents, you can only show like the tip of the iceberg. This will have all of it. So a guy's interview, we may be able to use two or three minutes. But in here, it'll be an hour, hour and a half, whatever. Yeah. Much deeper dive. So it's an open source network full of all of these thousands and thousands of documents, and photos and videos and interviews. And Right. Do you, are you... I know you have people on the inside here in the U.S. Do you have people on the inside in different agencies throughout the world? Oh yes, we have had you know MOD in UK and MI6 and any any Australian any with China, Russia, Russia yes, uh, China I've only had um, an ambassador from China that I've dealt with. Japan I've dealt with some uh, cabinet level folks. Interestingly, when you go to these other countries that are in the G seven, let's say, the group of seven countries, you know, uh, the big industrial powers. And I bring up, you know, since the U.S. government's dragging its feet, why don't you guys take the lead? I'll hand it all over to you. And they just turn pale and go, oh, no, we can't get ahead of the U.S. on something this sensitive. So this is why it's such a big breakthrough that the U.S. Congress has finally passed this bill and the president signed it, which is a rare moment of What's interesting about this is that there's serious bipartisan support for getting to the bottom of this problem, getting to the answers. It's not partisan at all, and it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. I mean, it should not be partisan. Yeah. I mean, it has to be nonpartisan. 
And that's why I always try to couch things in. This is the tide that'll lift all ships, this information coming out, unless you own stock in ExxonMobil. But, um, <laughs> so. Let's, um, let's move into the JFK, Marilyn Monroe assassination. <laughs> oh, some of the fun stuff. Yeah, let's move <laughs> into that. What do you know about that? A lot. So some years ago, I got from uh, the vault from a national security agency guy uh, an envelope. And it had a big old Xerox uh, of this document that was a wiretap of Marilyn Monroe dated a couple of days before they found her dead. And it was signed by uh, the CIA guy, James Jesus Angleton III. Now, he was a famous fanatical leak, mole hunter and leak stopper at the agency back in the early 60s. A fanatical. And it, it, they had wiretapped Marilyn Monroe's phone, and she was calling up Bobby Kennedy and a friend of hers named Rothberg in New York, who was an art dealer, saying that she was going to hold a press conference to tell the whole world what Kennedy had told her about, and I'm quoting, the objects from outer, face, outer space from the 40s found in New Mexico, a clear reference to Roswell and a couple of the other events that happened out there. That was the only one, by the way. <laughs> there was a 1945 oh. crash of an ET craft that happened right after we detonated the first atomic bomb um, that has just gotten a Trinity site that has just gotten documented by a good friend of mine, Paula Harris, who's a researcher. Um, you know, it's a fascinating book. So, and there's materiel associated with that. But... So Marilyn, because I think the Kennedy brothers had, had distanced themselves because the affair she was having with Jack Kennedy was a little bit getting too well known, she was angry. And so she was threatening to spill the beans in a public news conference where the whole world would have been there. So before she could do that, uh, Wetworks killed her, made it look like an overdose of drugs, but it wasn't. One of her friends way back in the day was this old... Uh, cool guy. He was a I named mean, Burl Ives. He was an actor and singer back in the day, and he was friends. And I, he was on my executive committee uh, up until he died. Interesting guy, thirty third degree Mason, all that. But he didn't know anything about the subject. So I go into his house in Anacortes, Washington, and I have this document. I didn't bring the original to it, but the one I have, uh, and it it's this transcript, and it flat out. He and he looks and he goes, "Now I know why they killed her." I said, of course. And, of course, Kennedy was livid that that happened because he had affection for her even though he had to distance for political reasons. But he was working on an executive order at that time that would have dissolved the agency and a lot of these operations that were dealing with this. The agency is in CIA? Yeah. So before that could go through the executive review process, he was killed. Now, interestingly, he, um, it wasn't just the UFO issue. It was a bunch of issues dealing with this whole constellation of problems. Because remember, he took office right after Eisenhower. Eisenhower's last speech to the world. And, you know, he's a five-star general, right? 
two-term Republican president. It was an Abby Hoffman. He's the one who coined the term, beware the military-industrial complex. He wasn't anti-military. He was anti-fascist, which is the collusion and control of government interests and the interests of the people by selfish corporate and moneyed people. That's what he was talking about. People have to get clarity on this. Yeah. Because otherwise it gets politicized. Now, this is where Eisenhower was coming from. Now, I have a witness, a guy named Stephen Lovkin, who was an attorney, but at the time he was an Army Signal Score guy who was in the White House with Eisenhower. And he saw Eisenhower doodling pictures of UFOs and stuff. And he talked to him and he says, yeah, he says, I, I've lost, they're not telling me much anymore about this. I've lost control of these projects. A very interesting read. It's in the disclosure book. It is in this. Yeah, okay. yeah in that book. Um, and so it, it's a worrisome situation because I've been able to piece together the presidential level of this back uh, all the way to Roosevelt. Um, by the way, Foo Fighters, yes, it's a Brock band, but they named their band, Dave Grohl was in Nirvana, after what a Foo Fighter is, which is what a UFO was called. <laughs> Really? In World War II. I so in World War II, we had these weird, almost plasma-like objects zipping around our aircraft. The Nazis thought it was a secret Allied weapon. We thought it was a secret Nazi weapon. So th there's this medical doctor, this elderly guy was on my team. He was a hematologist, pathologist in uh, Denver. And uh, his uncle was General Jimmy Doolittle. And he, so this is how I knew, knew this story. So General Doolittle was sent over there by Roosevelt to look into what the heck are these Foo Fighters. And, he, and General Doolittle comes back to the White House and tells Roosevelt, sir, those are, quote, interplanetary vehicles, I'm quoting. So, interplanetary vehicles. Yeah. So that's how far back this knowledge is, goes. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah. You talk a lot about the Rockefellers. Well, only to the extent that Lawrence, who was the philosopher king, Lawrence Rockefeller, who was the brother of David Rockefeller of Chase Manhattan, that's now J.P. Morgan Chase, Lawrence wanted to help with getting this problem fixed. So <clears throat> he hosted us at the Rockefeller Ranch in the Tetons um, and was helping do things behind the scenes. And then later he hosted the Clintons there under cover of a summer vacation to go through this material that we'd put together. The best available evidence is what it was called, BAE. But um, I think Hillary, if, if I remember correctly, I, he told me, Hillary stood up and said, we don't want to hear too much more about this. Too dangerous. Too dangerous. But <clears throat> he, was, he and I got to know each other quite well. He, 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 his heart was in the right place. Now, he had people around him, we found out, who were actually... Uh, deep cover intelligence operatives. I don't want to name who they are, but one of them, I was at their townhouse in Upper East Side. And this guy had been ambassador to France for Reagan on the board of Morgan Stanley. And he was, was yeah, and he said, he told me he and William F. Buckley, the conservative journalist, were both recruited when they were at Yale into the CIA to be embedded in the corporate and political world. And so he and his wife sort of were a, a duo that ended up then <clears throat> misdirecting Rockefeller in the, in the wrong directions to stop that initiative. So people have to understand how really good counterintelligence operates 
and how you have operatives who can go in and turn things sideways. Mm -hmm. Now that's 93, 94, 95, so we're talking ancient history here. The big problem is people make these sweeping conspiracy theories. Most of the younger Rockefellers were actually very supportive of this coming out. Um, Lawrence was, but now Jay Rockefeller, who had been the chairman of Senate Intelligence Committee, and David, Lawrence's brother, were both members of this committee. And I went out on the deck late at night with Lawrence Rockefeller. And, he, and one night when we had this gathering at, at, the, at the ranch, and this was before Clinton went there, um, and he turned to me and in, you know, he said, you know, my family, referring to these other folks, are jumping up and down on my nuts, quote unquote, because I'm even talking to you and doing this. I said, yeah, I'm sure, because they have a very vested interest in, in maintaining the, the secrecy. So uh, there you have some people who were read in. Lawrence was the philosopher, king, philanthropist. He wasn't banking. He wasn't Senate intelligence chairman like Jay Rockefeller had been. So you see there are people who have been in the system who know, but they will turn to their colleagues and lie to them. So here's another pattern you have to get. Everybody have these sweeping, oh, the Bilderbergers and the trilateral. I said, look, most of those folks couldn't find their rear end in a well-lighted room on this issue. But there are people involved who do know. And because they're part of this elite club, mm -hmm. say the Senate or what have you, or the National Security Council, they'll go, oh, we've looked into this. There's nothing to it. It's a hot air balloon. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it, it's a whatever. Um, I had a guy from the Bohemian Grove come to me uh, after we did the disclosure project. And he said, oh, yeah, there was someone there because this had hit the media so hard. And he says, well, I was involved in committees dealing with this issue in the U.S. government. It all ended up being swamp gas or uh, misperceptions of Venus rising or a weather balloon that crashed in New Mexico. And, of course, he, since he was one of them, there's inherent trust. So they have people who go... There's a place near Culpeper, Virginia called The Farm, and people are going there to be trained to be professional disinformation, basically how to lie well and to embed yourself in lie. I know where it is. Um, anyone listening has been there? You know what I'm talking about. So, uh, it, it, so unfortunately, there is, they're very, very good at uh, embedding uh, people in key places who then give false information to their brethren and their sisters in that organization who have, because of who they are, they have instant credibility. So they're going to say, why are you going to listen to this old doctor? I was, I, I, this is what it is, and we know. So I've seen this for 30 years. It, it's, it's a dog and pony show. You know, very, very, very clever. Um, and that's what happened to Lawrence. Lawrence got uh, Zoomed. He got basically diverted by these people he trusted, uh, had been in his circle for years. And he ended up getting diverted. Damn. Let's, yeah. let's, um, we're running short on time here, so yeah. I want to cover a couple of things. But sure. I would like to cover quantum of thought, mm -hmm. even though it's very unrelated to what we're talking about. It's, it's a fascinating mm -hmm. topic, and I want, to, yeah. I want to dive into that. Well, this is another whole show, and it's cool. Uh, so I always tell people sort of the entry-level technological discussion on this is energy generation propulsion electrogravitics. The real amazing information 
has to do with <clears throat> what quantum physicists call entangled universe. You know, and actually Einstein called it the spooky effect, where the same particle could be in two places at once because of what's called non-locality, where basically we think in terms of a straight line, point A to B in the universe or in space here. In reality, there's an aspect of uh, the cosmos that is entangled where every point in space and time is intimately connected to every other, but not at the speed of light or what have you, but instantly. It's called entanglement. Now, the ultimate entangled field or non-local field is consciousness. The father of modern quantum mechanics, Erwin uh, Schrodinger, particle wave theory, in 1908 said, the total number of minds in the universe is one. It's a singularity. So people talk about the singularity. This is the singularity. And it has to do with the consciousness field. So what extraterrestrial civilizations have for their communication systems, they're not going to pick up this thing, right, mm -hmm. at the speed of light and go and communicate from, let's say you're from the Andromeda galaxies, two and a half million light years from here. It's too slow. At the speed, this goes at the speed of light. Yeah. So at the speed of light, it'd take two and a half million years for the signal to get there and another ten, two and a half million years for the person to answer and say, yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you? It's five million years. So we know, and I knew this when I was 18 because I had a contact experience, that these civilizations have both innate remote viewing capabilities, but they have technologies that interface with that quantum field at the level of a quanta of thought. So not just random thought, but like directional, like, in, like if you're looking at the device and you think to it, it transmits to another node, another point. So now we've known this for decades in, in the CIA and other agencies, because when they started studying the devices, not just the propulsion systems and the energy, but how are these guys communicating? They found these devices. And to me, this is some of the most interesting research that no one ever talks about. But if you look at Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which is our documentary about contacting and using this technique, mm -hmm. uh, it, the foundation of it is this. It's the science of consciousness and the science of the quanta of thought interfacing not only with each other, but dropping out of linear space-time. And so we call this trans-dimensional physics, physics that cross dimensions. And one of the dimensions is the so-called thought realm. And it's fascinating. Uh, and so now take that knowledge that maybe some mystics in India and the Vedas and meditation, I'll admit that before I was a medical doctor, I was a meditation teacher mm -hmm. and studied all this. So I kind of, after I had the contact experience, I went, what the heck, how did this happen? So I became a student of the ancient Vedas in Sanskrit and in meditation before I went into medical school. But um, interesting career track, huh? But you're unconventional. But, uh, but what I learned was that this is how these civilizations uh, are able to communicate in real time across a million light years of space. Have you heard of string theory? Yes. Now, from what I've heard, the Chinese are claiming that they can communicate with their satellites through string theory. Do you? It could be. I mean, I know that our intelligence community at the upper end of it, Deep Black, 
have um, systems that are interfacing with this technology. We have this too? Oh, God, yeah, way back. It, that got perfected between 1956 and 1965. Can you, des- can you describe string theory? Well, I'll let a physicist describe th- string theory, and some people don't think it's quite accurate. I think a more accurate view of it is what I'm calling non-locality. Okay. In other words, where uh, in, in the in, what's called entanglement, the interconnectivity. And this is why Ben Rich, who is the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, said, uh, and I have three people who were there when he said it at a lecture, UCLA, uh, School of Engineering. Um, and he said, uh, this is in, I believe, 95, 1995. He was at the end of his career. And he had taken Kelly Johnson's place, who was founded the Skunk Works, the Lockheed Skunk Works, the U-2 spy plane, all that. And he said, <laughs> someone asked, how would, how would these extraterrestrial civilizations communicate? And he said, every point in space and time is connected to every other point in space and time, in real time, instantly. And that's how they're doing it, and it's through consciousness, through mind. And, of course, everybody there was like, these are nuclear engineers and whatnot, and they're going, what, you know, WTF. But, you know, that's true. So one of the things, I get ridiculed the most for the work I'm doing with contact and Mm -hmm. consciousness. What people don't realize, that is the deepest secret that they have on this. Because if people understand that, they can bypass any intelligence system and remote view and see, or they can contact these civilizations. Now you have to be trained, you know, but I, so I train people with the, we have an app, it's called CE5 Contact App. And the CE5 Contact App, you know, there's millions of people using it now. And it's a whole training program on remote viewing, meditation, making, how to do this. But the foundation of it is what you're asking about, and that's the technological interface that I, I don't have. We have classified projects that have some of this, but the, these other civilizations have. Um, I remember talking to a um, McDonnell Douglas, became part of Boeing. Boeing. One of their chief aerospace engineers is on my team, Dr. Woods, very elderly now. But he was assigned by old man McDonald, McDonald Douglas, to look into this issue in the 60s. And he found cases where there were people who had had contact with these extraterrestrial vehicles and the personnel, the, the beings. They're called Ebens, extraterrestrial biological entities. Um, so the Eben was there, and it had this little kind of black rectangular box. And it was used, it, so the, they didn't have to speak verbally like we are. It was kind of telepathic, but augmented with this technology. And it went back and forth that way. Now, the human was just receiving it, but very clear. And then this Eben was receiving it, probably innately, but assisted. So I call this consciousness-assisted technology, CAT. And then the reverse, technology-assisted consciousness, where the technology can help project your remote viewing capability. It goes both ways. Really? So the inter- so let's say the guidance system on these interstellar vehicles, they can stand at a console and touch it or think to it and then navigate it. That's how it's done. Wow. We know how that's done. That is fascinating. Yeah. This is the really cool. To me, you know, this other stuff is like the, uh, introductory, 
But the stuff that really excites me is, is this, you know. And of course, and, and Elon Musk has Neuralink, where he's trying to create a interface between the mind and machine, but he's doing it with wires <clears throat> and things in the brain and what have you. No, we're not talking about that, because that's at the speed of light. Yeah, I'm talking about the speed of thought. And that, you're now in another universe. Now you've gone through the looking glass with this. Now, this question you asked is, to me, it's the really amazing science. I'm fascinated. You know what they call this at the CIA, this kind of stuff? And at my uncle's old company, they, they call it WSFM. Anybody out there listening heard this? Weird science and frickin' magic. <laughs> I'm using the F word. <clears throat> and at my uncle's company, they, they would call it PFM, just pure effing magic. <laughs> but it's real. It's science, but it's really amazing stuff. How much do you know about the Monroe Institute and their oh, studies with the CIA? Lots. <laughs> Can we talk and Army Intelligence. About How long have they been? I didn't realize Army Intelligence was using Oh, that. yeah. Stubble, uh, General Stubblebine took his people through there. How long has CIA been have? How long has CIA been utilizing remote viewing and working with the Monroe Institute? I believe well, when the Monroe Institute was later, I think they started those projects in the 60s and 70s. Um, Monroe Institute was not that integral. There were, it was they had a technique hemisync that they <clears throat> found some was useful for some people, um, and so a lot of people went through there. It's twenty minutes from my country house out near in Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Really, is where they're located. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they did a lot of work with that, um, but it was sort of as a ancillary, not as a principal uh, operation. Now, Ingo Swan, who is one of the most famous remote viewers, um, is a friend of mine, and uh, before he passed away. And uh, he, he regretted what he had done with, with that. He wished he had done what I'm doing, which was something positive, instead of doing what he was doing with the, mm -hmm. the agency. But um, he was the most accurate. He was incredibly accurate. Very interesting guy. I went up to his house, his place in the East Village in New York, and he was this very flamboyant gay guy with an artist, and he was like this brilliant. He was all over the place, but we had just a great time. And you know, he shared with me a lot of experiences he had with CIA operations, remote viewing, very accurate targeting of things in the Soviet Union and elsewhere out in space. He imaged uh, objects out near Saturn that nobody knew were there that they proved later were there. Really amazing. Is this documented, some of the stuff? Uh, he has a couple books out that may have mentioned some of it. You know, a lot of times these folks will share things with me personally. Mm -hmm. that they, I don't know if it's in the book. I haven't, I'd have to look it up and see. Uh, he had one book called Penetration uh, that you can get that deals with a lot of that. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, Ingo Swan. But uh, <sighs> would you consider what you're doing with CE5 remote viewing. Oh, sure. It's, it's, a, it's a more advanced version for the purpose. Uh, so CE5 contact in the app, you'll see the purpose of it is for humans to be able to liaison with these civilizations and bypass the government who made a mess of this. So one of the things that we, come, we came to realize is that the management of this and it's understandable how it tracked into military and intelligence operations because it's technological, and we wanted to know how these things work. But the complete management of it that way caused there to be a huge mistake in the relationship 
between humans and these other civilizations. And here, here I want to put a button on this. When we detonated the first atomic bomb and the subsequent ones, um, when those go off, everybody knows what an electromagnetic pulse is. What they don't know is that there's a, a, uh, an attending so-called scalar or longitudinal wave that is faster than the speed of light that disrupts the fabric and communication and, and propulsion guidance systems of extraterrestrial vehicles. This is why they came in in huge force in the 40s and 50s. And this is why every single atomic and nuclear weapon storage facility, processing plant and base and ship has been surveilled by these ET vehicles because they, when, when those things are used, it is very, it's like tearing the fabric of space-time. Now, there are a few, Jacques Vallée knows this. There are a few physicists who know this. And so what, this, this U-2 spy plane pilot that I have brought to D.C., this was his big concern, that the military has completely misunderstood what the concern from these civilizations are. And they've looked at it purely as a threat, when in reality, we're the threat. So I have an interview with Gordon Crichton, who was a MI6 guy, British, and uh, he's dead now. He says, yes, when we did that, we, we kicked a hornet's nest because we actually disrupted their entire system. And remember, entanglement. We think straight line speed of light, well, EMP, electromagnetic pulse, isn't going to reach Alpha Centauri or some star system. But these so-called longitudinal or scalar waves that are, it's a point that goes out in a straight line without the wave function. Those are multiples of speed of light, and they're highly disruptive. And so this is something that the senators and the president don't know. So there's a whole scientific brief that has to be done on how do we get to this place. And because it's been mismanaged, this creates an existential threat for the whole planet, that we have people who don't understand it, who should, and the people who do understand it are weaponizing those systems. And by the way, we're, that's how we have downed dozens and dozens of extraterrestrial vehicles. We're using these advanced energy weapons, but not the ones at the speed of light, the ones that are, are longitudinal or scalar. And those are uh, ground-based, sea-based, space-based. We have NRO satellites with these things on them. And we can detect an extraterrestrial vehicle when it's dropping down out of trans-dimensional. So in other words, when it's not 3D, but it's moved in through these other dimensions, and it's about to quote-unquote materialize, there's a neutrino light scatter that happens. And the, the sats we have up there... The, the eyes in the sky, the really advanced ones, have neutrino light detectors on them that pick that up. That's triangulated, and then we hit them, or try to. Dangerous. I mean, this is a very dangerous game going on. The president doesn't know this. I know it. I have people who have run the systems on my team. Wow. And we're talking, this foolishness is literally a threat to the entire planet, which is why, and I want to I just remind people of this. This is in the, the unacknowledged book. And it's a letter from the first CIA director to the uh, New York Times in 1961, after Eisenhower left office. And his name was Admiral Roscoe Helen Keeter, H-I-L-L-E-N-K-O-E-T-E-R. 
And he said, part of the letter said, the issue is ridiculed when in, in high places it's taken very seriously. But he said, and this is the key point, the secrecy surrounding UFOs is, and I'm quoting, a threat to the national security. He had seen how badly this had gone. Now, this is 61. This is now 62 years ago. So this is why, again, I make this appeal to patriotic appeal to everyone listening who have been involved in this in any small way. It doesn't matter. But if you were directly had knowledge of a facility, an operation, a man-made device, an extraterrestrial device, reconnaissance, radar, whatever it is, please contact me at SeriousDisclosure.com, info at S-I-R-I-U-S Disclosure.com. Because we have to get this fixed because in this deep, dark secrecy, there are, and when I say an existential threat to life on Earth, that's what's happening by this being mismanaged so badly. So there's a lot at stake. There is. Yeah. Well, Doc, I know you got to get going here. You got a lot of the places you got to be, and I just, I just want to say, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come here. Thank you, and uh, for this interview, and I am really hoping that I see you again. We will. So absolutely, let's do it. Perfect. Hope to see you at the uh, National Press Club event. I will be there. And a conference before. I will be there. Yeah. Thank you. But cheers. Thank you very much. You know, I forgot too. Everybody gets a gift that comes on the show. Ah, and thank you. Ah, oh, nice. Gummy Jones League gummy bears for you. There you go. Thank Legal you. In all fifty states. <laughs> really? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by HelixSleep.com. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to HelixSleep.com and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched with the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match based on your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your front door, shipped for free. When you receive your Helix mattress, You'll be hooked. It's so easy to unbox and you won't believe how well you sleep. You'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed. Helix mattresses are fiberglass free and cradle your body for essential support in every sleeping position. They have a 10-year warranty and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash SRS. That's helixsleep.com slash SRS. This is their best offer yet, and it's not going to last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.